Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe Devine. And JJ Bull the Bullet. Hi, JJ. Hello, Joe. How's it going? Good. We've been here all day. We've been here all day. But it was a good day to be here, all of, uh, because there were three games and uh, actually we went out for one of them, didn't we? We had, we did. we had a fun yeah. time earlier. That was nice. Uh, lots to get through today. Of course, England-Iran was the uh, the first game of the day. We just watched uh, USA-Wales, so we'll be talking about that too. And uh, Netherlands-Senegal, uh, that was the game that we skipped out of the office for most of. So that was that was fun. Bit of a different, a little, little bit of different scenery. And of course, a return of points are bad, where I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I'm happier today than I was yesterday. Yeah, it's a big spoiler, yeah. really, isn't it? Yes, it is a big spoiler. Yeah. But um, I just said I didn't want to give any away. Not that I wouldn't. But listen, if you wouldn't want to give any away, if if you want spoilers, that's you want so to learn, so much better. Isn't it? Good, if yeah. you want spoilers for for football, not for football games, but if you want spoilers for sort of football news, where you would ordinarily wait around in your home in the day and think, "I'll find out about that news later," but mm. you could find out about it earlier. It turned out not to be much better as I thought. You should visit the Athletic theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where you, I think there's a very special deal on at the moment. I believe you can get The Athletic for £1 a month for six months if you visit that link, which is very exciting, isn't it? And there's been an extraordinary number. I would normally, I mean, ingest these parts most of the time, but I have to say I'm floored by the quality of the pieces that have been released, uh, World Cup related, so far. And we're only on day two. Uh, so, you know, there's plenty more to come. Check it out. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Uh, but for now, of course, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of, um, you know, not as many people in stadiums as you would want. Okay, beginning with England 6 uh, to Iran, we'll get to the football shortly, uh, but there are a couple of other issues to discuss first. And Seb, I'm going to start with you, uh, because I think in, in what was for me maybe the most moving moment of the uh, of the World Cup game so far, the Iranian players did not sing the national anthem. And I just wanted to ask you why that is significant. Right, so the full context for this uh, is best found in a James Montague article, which was published this morning by The Athletic. And... Um, crux of it is that um, it's been a controversy after the the death of an Iranian woman in custody earlier in the year. There's been protests in Tehran, there's been brutality, there's been deaths, there's been further arrests. Um, and one of the one of the issues which has arisen <clears throat> is the kind of the allyship and the support of Iranian celebrities, including um, including professional footballers, who some of the pressure groups, um, there's a group called Open Stadiums, which um, lobbies for the rights of women in domestic Iranian football stadiums, right, to, to actually go. And um, they're among a, a series of groups who believe that uh, a lot of the Iranian players haven't um, 
provided the support or haven't shown as much empathy as they'd hoped for. With a few exceptions, Sada Asmoon, of course, um, mm. made a um, very definitive Instagram post, um, and so much so that he was actually um, there was some suggestion he might miss the tournament. But one of the one of the lines he, uh, he missed today's game through injury. I think. Yeah, he, he he he's part of the squad. He was selected. Yeah. Um, so one of the lines also was that uh, a lot of the people that wanted empathy who who were were seeking reassurance or allyship from players they said prior to the the tournament that um if the players were seen to sing the anthem then that would represent a kind of i suppose a deferential attitude Mm. or a rejection of um or a a failure to be sympathetic enough to what's to to the domestic situation in iran an embracing of the status quo maybe yeah yeah I, i i think so and so what you had is this incredibly moving moment where Everybody knows that for a lot of the players in Iran, um, being defiant in any way whatsoever is quite dangerous, not necessarily yeah. for them, but for their families, even for players who, who um, earn their living abroad. And so you had this very moving situation where not a single one of them sang the anthem. And at various times, the camera cuts to Iranian supporters in the crowd who were visibly moved by that. Yeah. It was a very touching moment. Um, there's a report in The Athletic shortly after, which... Um, revealed that actually Iranian state TV had cut away from that and had censored the image of those players not singing the anthem and then shown instead pockets of fans back home who were seen celebrating and, you know, uh, eagerly anticipating the game against England, which was probably not a fair reflection of what was happening in the stadium. Mm. Um, so it was, it's very moving because I, I, I was, it's very brave. It's very it's brave. extremely brave. I, it's very hard for us to put ourselves in that situation. It's very easy for us to say, well, of course you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't sing the anthem and you shouldn't, um, you should show solidarity with the victims of the abuses and the human rights offenses, which are, which, which are occurring in, in Iran, much harder to actually do it, to be in that situation and mm. to be, um, under that spotlight, uh, I'm full of admiration for it. It was, um, yeah. yeah. No, so was I, you know, as I said at the beginning in my question, I think it was, it was, you know, it felt like an extremely moving moment to, to observe. And also it certainly, you know, it took away some of my gusto as a, as an England fan as well. It sort of felt, you know, the game began did. like, what? I don't, do I really want England to well, beat this team? I, I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but this was juxtaposed with the controversy around the armband. Mm. We're going to talk about that in more detail afterwards. Yeah. But you had that and then the game started and then you had, um, I, 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 this is going to sound a little bit trite, but one of the moments of the tournament, and I don't mean to trivialize it, it mm. just was. It's like when, when a World Cup ends, you think of um, moments of significance, whether it be um, in 2014, the um, the Brazilian players singing their anthem a cappella, those kind of things. And those are your takeaways. And I think whatever else happens during the rest of this tournament, that will be one of them. Um, the camera panning along the, the line of Iranian players and to a man rejecting the anthem. Um, yeah, I, I, it's very difficult for us to process because we can never be in that situation. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was uh, extraordinarily moving. Okay. Well, it's worth pointing out that um, uh, James Montague has written a piece for The Athletic about this and we are converting most of it into a video, which releases, I think, next Monday. Is that right, Seb? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we um, do read the full article because, as always with James Montague, it's wonderfully well done and brilliantly researched. And we will be releasing a video version, yeah, Monday morning, uh, so yeah. the 28th. So there's lots more context in that. Absolutely. Which was very, very Absolutely. useful because until I read that, I had uh, much less of an idea of what was happening. Yeah, no one better than James to, to tell those kind of stories and to, to actually paint the picture of what led 
um, everybody to that point in history. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very good piece of writing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, listen, from England's perspective, um, before the game, the discussion mostly revolved around the the One Love armband and how Harry Kane was no longer wearing it as he would incur a yellow card um, for doing so at the beginning of the game. So earlier on, I spoke to uh, Alex K. Jelski, who is The Athletic UK's editor-in-chief, and um, I started by asking him what the issue is so we can hear from him now. Well, because as of this morning, a bunch of countries, including England, Germany, Netherlands, Wales, and some others, decided to backtrack on a decision to wear something they called the One Love armband, which was supposed to be anti-discrimination, a sign of defiance against a World Cup in Qatar. And under pressure from FIFA, they say, they are now decided not to wear it after making a very, very big fanfare for a couple of months about how they were going to. I guess they would say that all of a sudden they felt they were going to be under sporting sanctions, they say, which means potentially a yellow card for the captain who could wear it. So if Harry Kane came out onto the field with this dangerous armband on, then he could get booked, which obviously puts him in a very difficult position. Virgil van Dijk, who's the Netherlands captain, said he would feel uncomfortable playing centre-back on a yellow card from the beginning of a game, for example. No one knows whether FIFA were actually going to follow through with that or not, but the countries decided that was too much of a risk and that their gesture had to be withdrawn. Is anyone blame-free in this situation? Um, Probably some of the players. I mean, I think everyone looks bad in this. (laughs) I mean, here's FIFA basically trying to stop a bunch of countries promoting anti-discrimination that's not a great look because they want to people to wear their own armbands which they announced a couple of days ago that come in all these various formats you've got the countries themselves who wanted to claim they were making a stand but the second it became a little bit dangerous to get a yellow card have all backed out and if you think of the things that footballers are willing to do sometimes to get yellow cards like dive or time waste or take their shirt off when they score a goal like this doesn't feel that great. Plus, if they'd have just got to the bottom of the rules in the first place and got clarity rather than on the morning of the game, we wouldn't be in this mess. So I think the federations look weak and like they don't really back LGBT plus fans. FIFA look like FIFA. And then there's just a bunch of players who, you know, probably do have some opinions, but are being told not to have them. Now, this was going to be a difficult tournament for LGBT plus fans anyway. How do you think this makes them feel? Pretty deflated. I do. I have wrestled. I've wrestled with the whole tournament, as many of us have, for lots of reasons. I do think that it's not that difficult for, say, the manager of a national team to say, we are in Qatar. It is very sad that LGBT plus people are have to live this way and are treated this way in this country and then get on with it i think this sort of scrabbling around to try and come up with an armband that by the way didn't actually say it was pro lgbt plus it just sort of said it was called one love and didn't want to say the the actual words just ended up being incredibly messy and made lgbt plus people largely feel very unsupported anyway and then to add insult to injury they're not even doing that so i would say if I'm allowed to swear, a bit of a show. Thanks to Alex Kajelski uh, for that from earlier on. Uh, that was much appreciated for him to take the time. What's really interesting about doing these live, by the way, as I put my headphones on the floor, 
like a live professional, is that we get to read the comments. And I was reading the comments as I was listening to uh, Alex there. There is a, there's a kind of um, division and I would, I would hate to suggest that there are equal, equal numbers of people on either side because I don't think that's true. I think there's a kind of loud minority in this case of people who seem to uh, think it's possible in the slightest to leave politics out of football. It's an absolutely ridiculous thing to suggest that people do. And I would really encourage you to try to educate yourself to understand why that's not possible. Uh, if you're unhappy with us discussing these things, you're very welcome to go and listen to another football podcast because mm-hmm. this is this is what we do here. This is always what we've done at TIFO. And I think it's impossible to to treat it any differently. As it happens, we're going to discuss the football now, but not because you said to. <laughs> yeah, because that's you. what it says on the plan that someone wrote for me. Very also, well said. I mean, not the bit you. about yeah. like, you know, not because you... Not the state, but the bit before that. that was very well said. Yeah, Good now, you. Yeah, I need a bit now to people do. are cheering me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah feel you're, you're, you're getting hearts and emojis. Everybody loves yeah. Joe. Well, that's Joe. why I said. That's why I said it's a it's a, yeah. it's a vocal minority. Anyway, let's discuss the football. Thanks for Alex Kajelski. Um, what that was a great very speaker. interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. I think it really is interesting, um, and it's good to get someone who knows what they're talking about. But let's discuss uh, England six, JJ two Iran. Yes, are England good? Yes. <laughs> make, okay. make, make, him, make him say it again. No, well, again. well, before the tournament, I thought, I really thought this would be a game that they struggle to score goals in. And the reason for it is the way that Iran play and what I tend to see England struggling with. And we thought, we did a video on this on T4YRL um, today, which is, what day is today? Monday, uh, which came out after the game, looking at how, what the differences are between the back three that Southgate would play. If um, you're watching this on the internet, then not listen to the podcast and you can see me playing with a tactics board. But uh, the difference that it makes between having a back three and a back four and why the back four means that you can get more players in higher positions at the pitch, including Jude Bellingham. But Iran very much came out with this 5-4-1, shut everything down, a real block, so everything had to go around this block always. Mm. So they'd go side to side, they'd, go, you know, they'd be shifted from side to side. So England had to, the only space they'd really get would be in wide areas. But generally when teams do that, it limits space between lines, so you can't then thread anything through. Yeah, and we, ju- we joked at the beginning of the game about the idea that England were just going to kind of pass it side to side for a long time and not really get around them, right? Yeah, and so, um, that's the thing. And then, But that's what they kind of do. England use possession as a form of defence almost, so they take the lead and they pass it around a lot. So if you have all your players in four positions... Uh, and you get them into you know the other team's half and you push them right forward it just allows you to be able to circulate the ball and keep it and while you do that it forces them out a bit to try and get up the pitch and as they start coming forward sure enough space is then created between lines uh it just created further pitch and then you can suddenly start threading passes through but i thought england were just excellent at all phases of play so they were really good well not defensively actually but what they were really good at doing was keeping the ball uh, the first goal they scored was from uh, an open play uh cross into the box mm-hmm. and one of the things the difference between the back three and the back four uh, what we saw in this goal is that when they tend to attack sure enough you get wing backs forward whichever system you're playing you always get them nice and wide then your inside forwards join in the middle and you get Kane and you get another forward so you tend to have five you have a, a row of five mostly across the front and that's not different for a lot of teams they end up with a two three five looking shape that's what most teams do but because you have this then you've got Bellingham joining in you don't have another centre back who's staying deeper you have someone further up the pitch they can join into getting on the action. Then the action comes in the box and the action scores the goal. And that's one of the big benefits of having the action. <laughs> uh, part of uh, what JJ's describing, Seb, was enabled by um, Jude Bellingham, who yeah. did not play in the Euros last year. No. Um, 
having him in the team in, and this is not a criticism of Calvin Phillips, but instead of Calvin Phillips, it gives the team quite a different complexion, doesn't it? Very different player. I mean, Gene Bellingham, I think that would have been a bit too early for him 18 months ago. I think the great advantage of him is that he's happy receiving possession anywhere, whether that be off his defenders or goalkeeper uh, from another midfielder. I think also in many ways, and it's going to sound a little bit like hyperbole, it's kind of the perfect midfielder because he's so versatile. He does so many different things well, whether that be recycling possession, creating chances, uh, advancing play out the pitch. Also, he's a goal scorer. And one of the things that's emerged this season is um, he scores artful goals. He scores goals that um, get a lot of, um, you know, um, draw a lot of notice on on social media. But he's also, he's a scorer of scrappy goals too. He's an opportunistic scorer of goals. I feel like, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but he, growing up, Jude Bellingham idolized Steven Gerrard. I felt like today's goal, the first goal against Iran, was a very Steven Gerrard-like goal. It wasn't one of those kind of rasping 30-yarders, one of those headers where find some space between defenders. It's actually a really good header as well. It's not just a kind of, it's not a simple conversion. It's actually a, a shaped header into the far corner. And I think that kind of describes, um, kind of describes just how many facets there are to his game. Because I think most people are, are aware of the Jude Bellingham who can beat players. It's got that very, very goal in the Bundes, a very, very good goal in the Bundesliga last year. I mean, we need sort of, um, I think it was against Stuttgart. Might be wrong about that. But he kind of pirouetted through the defence and sort of lifted the ball over the goalkeeper. Um, but also he he scores the kind of, um, let's call it the, the Gerard Lampard type of goal, which is the, this is what you are as an attacking midfielder, an attacking goal-scoring midfielder. This is where you score goals in the box, mm. not just the kind of the, the crowd pleasers. Um, and it kind of described just how good a player he is and also why he's going to be so valuable uh, in the future. I think tactically he's uh, maybe not better than Gerrard, but he's very different. I was going to he's, ask, how is he different from Gerrard? Well, yeah. the thing, so I think Gerrard is a lot about energy and dynamism and making mm. things happen and taking games by the scruff of the neck. Mm. All the kind of cliches, because he's very much Captain England or Captain Liverpool. That's what Gerrard does. I always think about that. Uh, it was, maybe it was his last season or, or just before that when he came on at half time for Liverpool against Manchester United and he, he fell down to Herrera in 43 seconds and got sent off. Do you remember? Yeah. I think there's a bit of that still in Bellingham. So if there's a if there's a problem in his career at the moment is that he's playing for a Dortmund side who don't have quite enough definition. They're not quite structured enough. And as a result, in games where things don't go quite as they need to, Bellingham has a tendency to try and do a little bit too much. He has that kind of um it's hero ball and gerard used to be um <laughs> that's a really good word yeah but he, he used to be susceptible to that and i understand that because he was often the most talented player and the most influential player mm. on the side and bellingham has a similar role um in in dortmund and so sometimes you can see him trying to play almost two or three midfield roles within the same 90 minutes and the cost of that perhaps is like the concentration of his effect in specific areas whether it be you know attacking or um uh, defensive support or whatever the case may be um so there's still a little bit of that to iron out and i think it's quite interesting to see him in a more england or better than dortmund dortmund are, are having a kind of a transitional moment um for now and uh, yes, I've <laughs> seen that on the board. Um, but when you put him alongside players who, who are at a different stage of his career and who are perhaps a stronger team and with kind of stronger structures, you see him operate within a sort of a, a tighter framework and you see just how good the player can be, yeah. which is really interesting. Yeah, okay. Another thing uh, that stands in England's set, I suppose, in this tournament is they've got a pretty uh, decent number of wide attackers to choose from. Um, Saka got the nod to start this game, which seems clearly it was a good decision. One of the sort of more amusing moments of the game was within seconds of him being substituted, Marcus Rashford scored from his position mm. <laughs> an almost identical goal to Saka's second. Yeah. He wondered, would that have been the hat-trick moment? Um, 
But why why do you think Saka got the nod in this game uh, over over Rashford and, and Foden? Um, and what is it about him that that makes him so good? I th- I, don't, I wonder what it is. Southgate seems to really like Saka. I really like Saka. He seems less um, like what's the word? Not flamboyant, but like Foden's very tricky and technical, and does lots of bits and pieces here and there. Is he a bit more flexible? I don't know if it's that. I think he's got more kind of drive to him. I think he tends to make like take things and make things happen with the ball. Mm. Whereas maybe Foden dances around in between things. Saka actively goes at them. Maybe yeah. there's something to do with that. Rashford's he's got a bit more of the one-two about him as well. Like Rashford seems to be very direct to goal. Yeah. Obviously brilliant at carrying the ball. Saka seems to, to be somewhere between the two. And the defensive part of the game as well is really yeah. strong. So there could be that. Like you've got a lot yeah. of defensive cover. I mean, we know he can play at different positions so he can cover for everyone and want those rotations. It's really good. I think he's just got... He's a really excellent footballer and yeah. uh, a good person to have on the pitch. He's got a good mentality with it. It plays like someone who's much older than he actually is. Another option they've got, I mean, Grealish tends to play off the left. Uh, Rashford can play on that side as well. So, yeah, good good options going on there. And Sterling can play that wing if they want. But they've got, I think they have a really good team. And I was just really pleased to see them actually play semi-decent football and not try and just work their way to a 1-0 off a penalty kind of win. They can be a bit sort of horseshoe of doom. Um in this kind of situation, like especially against deep line defenses. Anyone can in that situation. Exactly that. And that's what I worried about ahead of this game. I think um, we'll get to points of bad predictions later, but I, I didn't see more than a goal in this or, you know, I could easily have seen a a nil nil too. Um, So it's really nice to see the, what's the right word? Probably um, the intent and the understanding of what was necessary in the situation and the commitment to playing forward football and decisive snappy passing. It was really good. Yeah, the way they managed the game is interesting because I think the first goal is open play. It's really hard to do, but I also think we'll talk about this now is that Iran uh, were not anywhere near as good as what I've seen them when I was doing research for this. Yeah, we we expected more, didn't we? I mean, on on that note, you think presumably that's just a, I mean, a case of like the surrounding issues getting to the players. You think so? I mean, and Keros talked after the game, he said that it's too much pressure for his his young lads or something like that. I don't know, I'm paraphrasing him, mm. but he's talking about how, I mean, that's an awful lot of weight to carry. You know, the effect it might have on uh, yourself, your career, your family, all sorts of things that are yeah. very complicated to deal with. It's emotionally overwhelming. Uh, perhaps, yeah. And then the, one of the things, I mean, there are tactical reasons. They were far too deep too early. Yeah. And I, th- I think the plan for Iran was that they would sit deep, really frustrate England like teams have done in the past. It's been easy to do in previous tournaments and uh, sit off them and hope to get a chance they can they can take. And they nearly got one because Bellingham got caught in the ball right in front of his box. That could easily have been a turnover and then they lock it down. England get frustrated, get wound up and they can't score because there's no space between the lines that we're talking about. Mm. But uh, that, that's too early, too deep, too early. I think they need to give themselves more space between the goalkeeper and the, the, the defence. The defensive line should be higher. And you saw it. As soon as they put pressure on England when they're passing it from the back, they're not as good as they... Like they looked really amazing in this game, but I think if you put pressure on particularly Maguire and Stones and Rice in those situations, they're not always going to be able to play their way out of it and you can catch them. Mm. And that's what they did in the second half when they pushed up and Iran just played more of a, a front pressing three. I can't really work out the system. I even done a video on it, but I can't work out if it changed to a four at the back. I think it was more of a five. It changed a lot yeah. uh, depending on where they were, but put pressure on them higher at the pitch and you get a bit more reward out of it. Well, we, saw, it we, saw, we will talk about uh, the USA in a, in a minute, but in the first half we saw a very technically professional efficient and aggressive team you would wonder if they'll give England's issues on England before we move on Seb um there was as we said uh yesterday there's a bit of discussion around the before the tournament I, I personally think people do Southgate down a little bit I think he knows how to manage a tournament and I think also he tends to get the balance in international football 
better than people give him credit for most of the time. I'm perfectly happy to be wrong. But I think the expectation before the tournament started, I'm not happy to be wrong, was uh, that England weren't going to perform that well. Um, it's hard to take too many, I don't want to say learnings, but this is the only word in my head from this, given the context. Uh, how far do you think England will go? No, well, I, I don't think my opinion's changed. I, I think once you get to the quarterfinal, it's going to be extremely difficult given how the draw is going to um, unravel. Yeah. But then I think the reality of it is when you win your first game, you're in a very, very strong position in the group. And I don't I don't have a problem so much with the, the criticism of Southgate in the last few weeks and months because they were rubbish in the Nations League. They were really, really awful. Mm. Those hungry games were as bad um, as England have been in a lost decade. Four nil, didn't they? Lost four nil at home time. Weren't they bad before the Euros as well, though? Were they, but yeah, they but not do this bad in the Euros not, like, not to, to the lower the extent. expectations. I feel like the Euros was um, a case study in what gets you through a tournament, which is conservative football, defensive um, resilience, and scoring goals at the right moment. I mean, there's pretty universal currency in football, I understand, but Southgate's pretty good at that. Um, but because the weight of England's talent is at the top of the pitch, the perception is of caution being kind of counterintuitive and counterproductive because you've got Harry Kane coming to the peak of his career, Raheem Sterling, Bakai Sacco, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, anything. Why why are we playing with such caution when it's that? And and so that's a pretty difficult thing to um for him to get yeah. around. But this was hey, it's a great start. There's no point in being negative. This was as I said at the time when we were watching, it's as good a first game as I've seen England play in a tournament I think in my lifetime. It's not saying that this is my opinion. Yeah. England start tournaments slowly. They play cautiously. They attract bad headlines after their first game. And generally speaking, when you get to the third with a third group game, the qualification is still in the balance. Yeah, you have a horrible third game. And, and this is that, it's put this into context, right? Yeah. There was a stretch of eight years where every group game was nil-nil or one-nil, and it was horrible. Yeah, but think think of some of the group games in uh think of Euro 2000, for instance. Think of um I was too young. You were too young. Oh god, I feel old. Think of think of the World Cup in 2014 or or 2010 or yeah. you know, um, or even parts of Russia. It wasn't that impressive. And this is as conclusive a performance you could as you could ask for. True, true. Okay, here's a really good question from Nico Williams in the chat. Um, Nico, he's 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 showered up. He was just playing. He's busy. Yeah, I assume he's uh, messaging us from the dressing room yeah. and/or he's very committed. It's not fan. him. Uh, but Nico Williams <laughs> asks, who has a better chance against England? Is it Wales or USA? I, I don't know. Yeah, I think they've two different things. We saw two different sides to Wales. I think it'd be interesting to see Kiefer Moore, who will probably start against England. I think mm. against Maguire. I wonder if England will change the shape to match Wales. I think they go to a back Because they three play two forwards. It depends. There are loads of variables that could be there. I mean, they might set up in a shape where they can change with three if they want to, but they will need to be aware of how Wales build. And they have the Wales have a lot of depth between their centre-backs and their forwards, and they make the pitch really big, whereas England were quite close together in this game, mm. which generally they don't do. They tend to be quite spread out. And uh, USA were uh, clever with some of the things they did, but... I, I, yeah, they're, they're, they're good in different ways. Well, Happy Snacky uh, helpfully points out in the chat that the chances are if um, general expectations of these groups play out that England will meet France in the quarterfinals or could meet France. In the That's a shocker. <laughs> so there you go. How exciting and fun for everyone. Yes. Um, are we all done with England and Iran for now? I think so. I think also it's, it, it is worth saying that once you, the anthem situation if your emotional energy is going towards something like that, it then becomes incredibly difficult to play a World Cup match yeah. in front of a global audience. Also, 
remember that, that the collision between the goalkeeper who sadly had to go off and, and the centre half, that's got to be pretty unsettling. That was as nasty a collision as I've seen in yes. quite some time. And they kept showing replays of it, which is most unwelcome. But yeah, it 25 was, minutes added time in that game, which yeah. we're going to come back yeah. and... You see someone like that happen to, to two of your teammates. I think that's quite difficult to cope yeah. with. Yeah. Okay. Well, let us have a break now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh, what a delightful break. We all enjoyed that one. Should we tell everyone my John's not here? Oh, because he's not here every other day. <laughs> That's why. I thought you'd do a bit. No, yeah. I don't, I'm not into that bit. No. Don't like it. Yeah, I remember yeah. don't like it. Makes you me feel sad. Back a, about, you know, John and I that. are close friends. You are close of course friends. He, of course I'm going to say that. Yeah. If John was here, he maybe would feel say something different. We need it, to but... wait for John to come back to clarify that, to just, yeah. you know, to testify as to whether you are good friends, how he feels about the events of the last couple of days. Exactly. I, I don't know anything behind the scenes. I can't say anything. Yeah, I, I, it's not fair that we... we you I, can't take these bits back when they're like... No, we... I know we're all comfortable in front of an audience now, yeah. but let's remember. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you've done your serious eyes. You've done your serious eyes. Okay. Okay. It's because um, the fun's pointed at me and I'm not used to it. When that. the fun stops, continue, continue to wind up the Joe. Double down. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was all in the break, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Let's restart. Ah, what a break that was. Mm. I really enjoyed that one. USA won nil Wales. Let us discuss this game, uh, because the USA, probably the better team in the first half, weren't they, JJ? Very impressive. Why were they so good? They were miles better in the first half. Uh, I think they came in with... So it's weird. In the national anthems, it looked very much like Wales were the team really raring to go and USA were not. But what you saw instead in this game was uh, just a lot of energy from USA, who were going to tackles really, really quickly as well. And there's something about the way that... I said 1-0. I'm so sorry. I forgot to update it. It's 1-1. That was 1-1. Yeah. It, I wrote, the, I wrote <laughs> this bit of a plan the, when the it was 1-0. The chat has taken that really well. Very bad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> sorry, everyone in the chat. Yeah, I wrote that when it was 1-0. So technically I was right then, but I am wrong now. 50-50. <laughs> Should we start that again then? Yes. yes. USA won one Wales, JJ. USA were probably the better team in the first half, weren't they? Why were they so good? <laughs> uh, start, day again. Two. start again. Day two. USA won one Wales. Um, the USA, probably the better team in the first half, JJ. Oh, why were they so good? I think there's a few tactical reasons and a lot of uh, character reasons as well. They seemed really up for it, USA. They were going to tackles very quickly and aggressively. And Wales did not like it. So the team shape, I'm not sure how much the team shape kind of helped, but basically Bale hardly got the ball. And Wales's problem is that they had a lot of depth between the three centre-backs and the boys who were high up the pitch. 
And what USA were doing, were pressing with like a front three. So they had this front three of Timothy Weah, Josh Sargent and Christian Pulisic. Then they had a three of McKenney, Adams and Musa behind them here. Uh, and the fullbacks, who are meant to be the most important part of the team, uh, obviously, at fullback positions. And basically the Wales front three, or um, Wilson was more in line with the midfield actually, it was more like this. Uh, they just couldn't get the forwards into the game. James wasn't making runs into channels like he was supposed to. Bales didn't do anything. And then what you had was that uh, USA were able to get the, the ball through to the wide areas by doubling up. So they'd have maybe Pulisic would pull out wide with McKenney, And you'd have uh, Anthony Robertson would be slightly further back. But they'd have loads of double ups on the wide areas. So the ball would always be... They always built to play it. And they were able to drag Wales out of position. And then Wales couldn't keep it. So they had so much depth between them that when they hit the ball up to the top... It just came straight back to them. And USA were combining really well, lots of rotations that you get McKenney and Pulisic. McKenney or Pulisic would be coming inside the pitch. And the goal was a really clever, really cleverly worked where they were slightly deeper, pushing right much deeper. I'm playing with the board if you're listening to this on the, the podcast. Do come mm. and watch the live streams. And so what they managed to do, because Weah scores the goal, Timothy Weah, son of George, he manages to score the goal. But they basically push the ball forward and then follow it in. So someone will drop, which will drag a player with them. I think we'll probably push the midfield a bit further up like this. So they play the ball forward quickly and then someone will drop in. So Pulisic might drop. That drags maybe a wing back or a full uh, centre back out with him. And then maybe that goes to Sargent. And then as he does that, someone else will come forward, which maybe drags someone else to try and start dealing with him. And that leaves space in behind for someone else to get in. So there's lots of rotations and movement, but the basically the right winger for USA scores the goal in the centre-forwards position with Pulisic running across him. So lots of clever movement mm. um, and lots of rotations, but it was about the energy and the attacking impetus that they had, I think, yeah. pushing forward. What, what, what were you so impressed with in the, in the first half, Seb? The technical level. So in previous tournaments, I feel like the USA has emerged in a kind of a state of sort of existential crisis where they're worried about, um, partially worried about their own performance, partially worried about how they're perceived. Yeah. Um, I think also because you know, that that describes a you know a, a pretty um, negative attitude towards US soccer from outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time I remember thinking, and I hope this doesn't sound patronizing because it's not how I intend it to, to be. It was just, this is just a good side. This is it, just a good side full yeah. of good players who are sure of themselves. And I think part of that comes from, well, it's not a coincidence that they're playing at a high level um, and some of the individual players here have established themselves and their own reputation in Europe. Um, MLS has risen, the standard of MLS has risen exponentially over the last decade, definitely. But it's still beneficial to have these players in crucial spots across Europe. And I just thought, yeah, I mean, I, w- I was a little bit surprised too because I looked at players like Sergino Dest, who hasn't played a lot of football, played to a really high level. I thought Josh Sargent hasn't had the best time uh, at Norwich. A little bit, um, yeah, a bit easier in the championship, of course, and mm. that makes a difference. But then, like, and also Christian Pulisic is, you know, his Chelsea career is uh, I, a little nebulous. I mean, I, I'm not sure where it's headed at this point, but you saw them all at their very, very best for 45 minutes. I mean, obviously I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the Welsh comeback after, after half time. but yeah, just a, a strong side. And I remember thinking at halftime, I'm not looking forward to England playing this side. Mm. That's probably the first time. And this might be English arrogance. I'm sure it is, but it's probably the first time yes. I thought, yes, definitely. Um, it's probably the first time I thought that about the U S in the tournament. Not that you take them lightly, but you think, well, you know, I think England, yeah. an England side playing well can cope with, this team and you know can match up really well with them whereas this side buzzing around with energy jj's talked about some of the rotations and some of the, the combinations in high areas 
England defence is going to struggle with that if yeah. they replicate what they did in the first 45 minutes. I think that's true. Before we talk about the second half, I just want to talk about the growth of the sport in, in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, we either have a video coming out about that or, or it has already come out. Um, but there's some interesting stuff in there. And I think the reason I bring that up is because, you know, you described this 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 team as like a good team that mm-hmm. fits where they are now. Um, presumably they're just going to get better, aren't they? You'd think so. So I don't want to steal the video's thunder because it is yet to come out, but it's a it's a growth sport in the US and for a variety of different reasons. Um, obviously, the percentage of the Hispanic population who consider themselves fans of the game, um, that, um, that element within the US population is growing faster than any other part of the US population. Um, also, and I spoke to the athletics Paul Tenorio for this, he talked about how dramatically improve the presentation availability of soccer is in america so that includes things like you know your choice of premier league games the broadcasting standard of them uh, and it's it's kind of night and day compared to certainly what paul was used to as a um when he was growing up when he was sort of a teenager in the 90s and he would have to make do with a couple of champions league games a week and then he he actually um he told me that he was um a big francesco totti fan growing up and his access to Serie A came through pay-per-view games that he'd have to spend twenty dollars on, and, yeah. and and so like all of these factors, and there's there's many more that I haven't covered, and that you know the video will um will do a good job of explaining. But yeah, you could say that um it's the fastest growing team sport in the US, and um the quality seems to get higher every World Cup that they appear in. I know they missed out in twenty eighteen, but yeah. you know what I'm saying. It's just um it's no longer. I think this is the best way of putting it. The US player is no longer a novelty in Europe. Like, you're just a good footballer. You're not like, I felt like Landon Donovan was a very good footballer, but I think people said, you know, before that, and before they appreciated his goal scoring and his teamwork and his and his, his tremendous work rate, they said, oh, he's, but he's American. Um, and that was terribly unfair. And now, like, there's a little bit of that, but now you just assess these players on, on their merits fairly. Um, and that's really, really important. And that, and that's kind of a real real symptom of change, I think, in the, yeah. over the last few decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, listen, at halftime in this game, JJ, Dan James came off. Yes. And Kiefer Moore came on. And that is, that's a sort of small and fast man off on for a, a, a very large man. A big, yes. nasty man. That changed He's the game. He's a big lad. It He's... is. Kiefer Moore coming on did definitely change the game. And there's a couple of things that apart from Moore coming on that made a big difference. So he was obviously a huge difference because, well, literally huge because he's massive. And so he was able to be at the top here so you could put the ball into him. And he's very good at just holding it, shielding it, being able to block off defenders. Yeah. So then you could he could hold it here and then he could get to bring players into play. So you could bring Ramsey and you could bring Cal Roberts into play. That's some of the things you could do. But he was also moving the channels much better than what Dan James was doing. So then he could be a huh. wide kind of guy that could keep the ball, a wide guy. So he can keep the ball in wide areas to, again, allow teammates to come in and combine with them and take Wales up the pitch because they couldn't get out of their own half. Can I ask a question then? Yes. It's like... It seems kind of obvious that he would do that. Maybe not the second part, but that he's bigger and taller and can hold the ball up, right? That seems like an obvious thing that a casual... Not, I'm not denigrating your analysis, but that seems like an obvious thing that a, um, that a casual fan could pick up. Why didn't he start? I don't understand. Well, I think the reason they didn't start is because when you played Dan James, so you, you know the way the USA are going to play. Both teams basically had done research on each other and knew exactly how they are going to play. Uh, and I can show you what the USA do in a second. But when you have Bale, James, and say... Where's the other one? Wilson, put him up top... Uh, maybe, and you've got a midfield too, it means that you've got these fast 
lads who can this is the wrong way around actually put him there like this so these can all get in behind a high line because usa like to play aggressive football and they like to play quite a high line they like to push into the other half so they can then combine with this narrow front three see how this looks well on the board i've got the front the three four the four three three mm. looks very narrow and it was for a lot of the time um but then if you play a high line it means that you have players like dan james or gareth bale or or harry wilson who can run in behind and so you've got an option when the usa squeeze you you can then recoil and spring out the back yeah then you've got pace you've also got pace from uh, players like nico williams and cal roberts and then maybe ramsey joins in at certain times box to box to join in but what usa were doing um as well as that rather than having uh Kiefer moore there so like, this it's about chance creation right Mm-hmm. it's still in Wales actually so it's about chance creation and how you want to create your chances probably by springing attacks against a back line which isn't very fast Tim Ream and uh, Walker Zimmerman that's his name isn't it they're not especially rapid and you saw the huge error Zimmerman made in the box to take down Bale right mm-hmm. so you know you can play, probably play against these guys you also know for sure that Dest and Robinson are going to get forward. They're going to do that because they are, well, they were underlapping quite a lot as well, but you know that's what's going to happen. So look where you get your space. Loads of space in here to be able to attack against the high lines. It makes perfect sense. Whereas for Wales, what USA knew they would do um, is need their width from these wing backs. So Nico Williams and Cal Roberts getting forward. But they were kept real pinned back all the time by this narrow front three. And Pulisic would look and Wea would want to get in behind the space left by these fullbacks or wingbacks getting out the pitch either side of the, the center backs so what they did in the second half was they kept up to do is more of the kind of like anchor we'll call them like at six more close yeah. to these guys yeah, here yeah, yeah. Yeah. and then that meant that they could play basically williams on one side roberts on the other and then you could have ramsey and wilson uh and get rid of james you can go away and put more in and then you've basically got that two with the two wide players next to them in a row so you've got a different change of shape, which then forces USA to come back a little bit more to try and defend, which then changes the way they play. Okay. Lovely comment in the chat here. Um, I can't remember who. Oh, it was a William Tarantula who wrote this down. William Tarantula. Uh, Kiefer Moore is only ever referred to with his whole name. It's just the way things are meant to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you think of another footballer that's only ever yeah. mentioned? I mean... People would always say Roy Keane, right? John no McGinn. one ever says Keane. People say, do people say Keane? People say Keane. There used to be a player for Cardiff City called Don Cowie, who was always just called Don Cowie. Don Cowie. Also, when John you played McGinn. for England, Wayne Rooney. Dan always. James. Dan James. No, people said Rooney. No, no, no. When it was England and when it was World Cup. Wayne was, Rooney. Clive Tills yeah. always used to say Wayne Rooney. Always yeah. too. He would also go, Rooney! Ah, yeah, that's a good. That's a good that was, one. That was really nice. I've done a lot of. Do that again. Do you think yeah. that was good? Yeah, do it one more uh, time. I really like that. Oh, if I do it now, it'll be as good. Rooney. That's pretty good. That was. I like I think doing it. I've been better the yeah. second time. <laughs> well, thanks very well, much. Well, let's try more of those later. Now, listen, we've uh, we've got a few more bits to get through before the end of the live stream, and we've given ourselves a hard out of an hour, guys. So Ooh, we've really uh, got to rush okay. now. Okay. Um, the final question on the USA Wales game, not specific to the USA Wales game. Um, but there was 25 minutes added in the England game. Hmm. We talked about that before. There was nine minutes at the end of USA Wales. I can't, I couldn't find the, the number that was added to Netherlands Senegal, but there was quite a lot in the first half. I remember. Um, it does feel like there's quite a lot of added time. Of course, with the with the England Iran game, the poor Iranian goalkeeper who whose nose seemed to be you know, like three Oof. or four times the size Oof, yeah. it was by the time he left. The, we could have a conversation about concussion and substitutions, by the way. Also, maybe we should come back and do that. Um, it seems like there's an awful lot of added time, Seb. What's, what's going on, do you think? Well, what I think, and this is just theory, Joe. This is one is, of your opinions. Yeah, just a big opinion. So before the tournament, there was a little bit of a conversation about time wasting and how 
time wasting was going to suffer a bit of a crackdown during this World Cup. Simultaneously, there is also conversation occurring about how the clock is managed in the future and a potential rule change to avoid um, teams who are winning by 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 narrow margins milking the clock and running it down with you know cramps and substitutions and delays over throw-ins. I think it's about creating a certain context around the game, certainly about sort of um, almost not quite sending a message, but illustrating just how much time fans should be compensated with because of, you know, um, low ball in play statistics and things like that. So I, I think that's where we're headed and I think it's going to continue. I mean, obviously the England-Iran game needed that amount of stoppage time in the first half. Yeah. Bit weird to see so much in every other game we've seen. It yeah. seems like a, it seems intentional. It seems... It, it's too much of a coincidence otherwise. It's kind of working on me. I think I've yeah. sort of thought before, you know, the temptation as a fan is to go, well, hold on, there were all these stopwise, there are only four minutes yeah. when it should be 11, but now I have 11. I, I don't want it. I think it's because we've got used to being compensated with three or four minutes when we should have actually, by letter of law, had maybe 10. And now this is part of the redressing of that imbalance. So keep an and, eye on it, I think. Andy Thomas in the chat says, the US broadcast said many times that the refs were instructed to pause for every single stoppage time. Uh, the point about time wasting is, is exactly right. Could very well be right. I don't know. Interesting. It's um, just my opinion. Okay. Uh, and concussion sub, um, the Iranian goalkeeper, whose name I've uh, forgotten, sorry, um, he, well, he was down for about 10 minutes, which is why there was so much added time in the first half. He sort of insisted that he was okay, you know, fair enough, but then came off a minute later. And mm -hmm. listen, I, of course, you understand that from a player's perspective, they would want to continue playing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is why the responsibility presumably is not theirs uh, to make that decision. Um, somebody else needs to make that decision with, the, with their health and safety first and foremost in mind. And given that, I mean, our, our broadcast suggested that, that he was then taken off as a, I think it said like possible um, uh, concussion substitution. It, it yeah. wasn't clear whether it was or not. Um, what do you think has happened there? I have no idea. I can't come up with a defense for it. Obviously, you've said already, it cannot be the player's decision to say, I'm fine because you, you need to evaluate a player. You need to evaluate a player. Um, I'm no doctor, clearly, but um, we are well beyond the point in the game where in any professional sport where we're asking, right, do you feel like playing on? Yes. Okay, then. Yeah. I'm not sure that's what happened in this instance. I just found it very alarming that he was he suffered a, a very serious injury, um, was allowed to continue, and within, I'm not quite sure how long it took, but maybe a minute or two, he was very clearly not able to continue, and um, mm. he was lying on, on the floor. So I have no idea what happened there, but I'm not in a hurry to see it happen again. Here's a good question from Marcus Ambler. Has the heat made a visible difference to the performance of the teams, or has it been well-managed, do you think? We've only really seen them in the cool games. I think we'll see tomorrow morning when Argentina plays Saudi Arabia. Because mm. 10am is 1pm in Qatar, right? Or our time is 1pm. Yeah. That's the 1pm game, local time. Yeah, um, I think a lot of teams are picking and choosing when to go and press. No one's played a ridiculous high press. There were moments when England were counter-pressing a little yeah. bit to try and win it back. But again, they were later in the day, so it's a bit cooler. Ecuador relaxed pretty quickly after 2-0 two nil, two nil last night. Yeah. yeah, was it Ali McCoy said on comms for the... Netherlands game um, that it was rather rather mild it was nowhere near as hot as he thought it was going to be mm. so which is which is good cool yeah all right well let's have another break and then when we come back we will discuss uh, Netherlands Senegal Netherlands too nil Senegal this was quite a fun game actually wasn't it JJ the Netherlands Netherlands missed the 2018 World Cup of course 
Um, the last time we saw them was in 2014. My, I think my one of my favourite international games of all time, two of them came in the same tournament. And I'm speaking, of course, of the, uh, was it 5-0? Uh, the, the, the victory over Spain in five the group one. stages. 5-1. Five one, five with one. that Robin Van Persie diving sort of goose header, you know, <laughs> in the first... Uh, in the first, Another uh, one. first minute, yeah, it was a, what a goal. I love that goal. Um, anyway, four years earlier, of course, 2010, they reached the final. What are we seeing from the, from the Dutch now? We're seeing from the Dutch. What are we seeing from the Dutch? What we're seeing from the Dutch is, uh, well, they're a Louis van Gaal team. Yes. Does he say his name? Yes. That's how he says it. That's, well, you just said it, yeah. yeah what would right. you normally say? Gaal. One of the two. Yeah. Anyway, so they're very functional. They're very well organized. Um, they're playing with a back five system, which is actually more of a four because really what happens generally is that the right wing back moves up. Denzel Dumfries is his name. And he tends to be more of like a chaotic forward. He gets into the box quite a lot. And then Blind tucks over with Ake and Van Dijk and De Ligt goes to like right back, pushes into midfield a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're they're decent enough and they've got good forwards, good players all around. Gakpo scored the first goal and Davy Klassen, who I confused with Casper Dolberg of Denmark in my tactical previews, uh, scored the second. But what you had was when Janssen went off and Memphis came on, they were suddenly, I thought, a lot better because the combinations were working a lot mm. better in the in the final third. Yeah. So Memphis was dropping quite a lot and it was dragging players out of position, which allowed someone to get in behind. Um, I can't remember who came off for Bergwijn or on for Bergwijn, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but yeah, I think they're it's functional. And they, David Klaassen, though. Was it Klaassen? I don't yeah, know. I think so. The one thing I did notice about them is really good is De Jong is brilliant between the boxes. Mm. So De Jong was just carrying the ball all the way up to the opposition box sometimes, but he found himself round about outside the box and she just to the finish means 1v1 with the keeper and then took two when he touches didn't, want, didn't trust his left foot uh, kind of classic brilliant player between boxes but not in them mm. there's a couple of errors and defensively made as well I love that guy though Frankie Dion yeah he's amazing he is very good isn't he yeah I went to see I think I said this before but I went to see Ajax play like a few seasons ago and it was him and De Ligt and uh, all the big lads basically before they got sold yeah uh, it was brilliant, and, and uh, De Jong really stood out. De Ligt stood out as well. He's extraordinarily good looking as well. De Jong, we, we were yeah, we were in the, the in the pub for this game, and we we saw uh, Ryan Hunt of the Stadio podcast. And I leant over to Ryan. I said, "This this has a shout for uh, the uh, best looking game so far." Would you agree with my analysis, Seb? Yeah, it's a strong analysis. I mean, lots of handsome people playing football at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Fantastic. It's a kind of odd question to ask, yeah, isn't it? Sure. Let me ask you a different one instead. How yes. do you see, say, I've spit all over my face. Yeah. How do you see, say, and Louis van Gaal, both very experienced tournament managers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think we saw that reflected tactically in the game? Was it a bit of, you know, it was kind of, it felt not stalemate but it felt kind of evenly balanced for periods of the game, didn't it? Yeah, I, I know they lost, but I thought Senegal gave a really mature performance and they played quite well around the absence of Sadio Mane. Um, obviously they're African champions it's what you expect I think they were runners up also in 2019 um, so he's been he's been manager for seven years now so he's a very experienced international manager um, and I felt like you know their game plan was good they they defended pretty well they kept the ball really well I really liked that when they broke typically through Ismail Assar what was Ismail Assar um, when there wasn't an option um, they consolidated and retained possession and built around the Dutch box and um the goalkeeper, the six foot eight goalkeeper, mm. who I think must be the tallest in the competition. Um, I think. Can't think of any seven yeah, foot goalkeeper. The Netherlands goalkeeper. Yeah, he's. Um, where, did, where did he come from, by the way? Here in vain. He's. Um, this was. Uh, he made his his international debut. Yeah, today. Today in the wow. World Cup, which is pretty. Uh, it's 
bit of a vote of confidence. He made some great saves. He did. He did. He was pretty impressive. He had uh, didn't have any bad moments. He looked good. Justified his selection. Well done. Because that's pretty nerve wracking. I'd have thought as a goalkeeper to to be in that. But I, I thought Senegal were good. And I I just um, Edouard Mendy didn't have the the best game. But I I found myself thinking. Um, Could they have done more with Sadio Mane? Yeah, I feel they might have done because Dia, who played as a kind of not quite as a nine, but in that role, uh, he's never been a prolific player. He's now at Salernitana in Italy, but um, has some time at Villarreal. He scored some nice goals, didn't score goals in high volume. Um, and I think you can see good footballer, not necessarily a um, a lethal finisher. But mm. and Mane, look, Mane's world class player, he would have made them better, no doubt. And he was um, a big part of winning Afcon for them. So I thought yeah. Sarah was decent. It's I thought Sarah was great. I, I I remember saying to um uh, to the guys in the office, I, I can't believe he's still playing the championship. He's such a good player. Yeah, he's a good player because yeah. he was because Mane tends to play off the left, but comes in behind like an extra nine or a ten mm-hmm. in Senegal. It's things I watched when I was doing all the research. But then yeah. Dia is like their poacher. Diata, I don't know much about. So, yeah, but then just the guy coming behind him is playing not quite a 10, not not quite an 8, somewhere in between. Certainly more advanced than he But it helps you win the ball back in midfield. And yeah. because Holland are playing that like 5 2 1 2 basically is a shape, um, that kind of helps with what they've got there. Yeah. When you said to Seb, um, that was a bit stale, matey, then I <laughs> heard it like you were a pirate. It's like he was offering me some <laughs> cheese that had gone out. No, of no, the, it's, it's like you were saying, matey. matey. Like he, yeah, like he's a pirate. <laughs> yeah. It was a bit stale. It wasn't a bit stale, matey. Yeah. Well, you know, that sounds fun. I can't off the top of my head think of a joke that's okay to make, so I'll move on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One more question. Uh, Cody Gakpo played in this game, JJ, and scored a goal. It wasn't clear how much he knew about which direction it was going in, but it it had the the quality of a goal which looked at once like an incredible header and also like a quite lucky goal. Hard to tell. I think it was De Jong that had the cross as well for him as well. I remember watching it and I was thinking they were taking too many touches and they were being too slow because both teams were, I think they were quite worried about each other and they were very um, stalematey. And so they were keeping things... (laughs) They were keeping things really quiet. <laughs> Ahoy there. No, they were they were keeping mostly it was a very nil-nil game, literally, for most of it, because they were kind of yeah. not wanting to commit too many people forward, not wanting to make a mistake, not commit, you know, basically leave space in behind. So when they got to that final section of the pitch and then De Jong was on the ball just outside the box, I really did think he was taking too many touches and they weren't going to be able to get in. And I was completely wrong because the ball he picked was perfect mm. for the run that Gakpo was making from out to in. Yeah. And then Gakpo puts his head out the way. He was looking the wrong way, but it's because he knows that Mendy's going to come in and yeah. punch his head into a different dimension if he doesn't do it. Well, this so. is interesting because Swords in the chat asks on a scale of one to goose, how much of a goose header was this particular goal? And it's not the, not in the same way that Robin goose. Van Persie's head... No, no, because Robin Van Persie d- dove forward and then sort of arced backwards. But Cody Gakpo was kind of going backwards. He still arced backwards, so there's a bit of goose in there. His movement was much like a goose yeah. flying from uh, the place that he would normally reside to a more exciting goal-filled place. Filled with golden eggs. food. Yes, golden eggs. Golden eggs. Yes, yes. Anyway, the game between Ecuador and Senegal now feels very important. Sure there, does. Sure doesn't does. it? Is that fair? What do we expect from that one? Uh, I'm not sure because I, I feel Is it like... Geese? Maybe some geese, but also uh, good football because I, I think uh, I think we saw Ecuador play forty minutes of good football and then realised the game was won and then kind of um, dropped down a few gears for the for the sake of preserving some energy. And I feel good about Senegal, but not quite sure where the goal is going to come from. So no tight game. Okay, be a low scoring affair on the old points of bad predictions. I would have thought. Well, we're going to come to points of bad yes. very shortly. Yeah. But before we do, Seb. 
The stadium attendance for this game was announced as 41,721, which you've pointed out here in the plan is 1,721 over capacity. But the stadium very clearly had an, uh, many empty seats. Mm. What do you think's happened there? I don't know. I Neither don't do know. I. It's I lost, don't know either. What I will say... More geese. Sometimes this happens in the Premier League. Sometimes when you're sat in the press box, a, a press officer will walk around with a little piece of paper saying, um, giving you um, a figure of tickets sold rather than people in the stadium. So um, it's not that I haven't seen this happen before because sometimes you go to a stadium and be like, ah, 60,000 people and you can see 15,000 empty seats in a stadium which only holds 55,000 people. But so the tickets were sold, but the people didn't I have sell. no idea whether that, that's what happened here. It's just, um, yeah, a bit of an anomaly. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of different bits of information about this. So I'm not quite sure what to trust yet. Let me just tell you, though, on a separate yes. and very safe note. Yeah. When I buy a ticket to something, and I've done this numerous times in the yes. past, sometimes I don't go. <laughs> and it's the best night. Ever. When you buy a gig ticket, and I don't encourage people to do this because it's a stupid, terrible thing to do. And not only is it bad for you, it's bad for the the, the event if you're not going. But if you don't go, if you bail on it, you have an amazing time at home. You have like a rewarding victory of being at home when you weren't supposed to. And it feels, even though you do the same things you would have done if you didn't have the ticket at all, it feels different. Do you so know what I'm saying? Do you have the, to yeah. It's like a snow day. It's like school. a snow day. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, chat has described this as resting attendance. Right. Which is quite yes. good. Right. I like the idea that people have gone dressed as chairs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's why it looks empty. It's not. It's full. <laughs> people dressed as chairs. People dressed as thousands of people dressed yeah. as chairs. <laughs> anyway, let's do points are bad now. Um, because uh, we've had an interesting day with with points are bad. I can tell you uh, that of the various predictions that we made yesterday, the only really, no, there's a couple of noteworthy ones we can include here. The first was my prediction of 5-0 uh, England, which I have to say I made entirely in jest and wasn't expecting the result to be 6-2 at all. But that really helped me because as I lost many points throughout the rest of the day, or gained many points, I should say, that balanced me out. Mm. Um, other shouts here, I believe that for Senegal-Netherlands, JJ got the exact uh, correct scoreline. Congratulations to you. And also uh, other things, that's about it. Who got the correct scoreline? Was it me? You got the correct oh, scoreline, okay. exact correct scoreline. And, and JJ, for today, yeah, you, you only added seven points. We all added a lot of points today, but you only <laughs> added seven. So you had the best oh. score of the day, which means, of course, that you go last in the predictions. I added eight and uh, seven, John added nine. So the overall scores as it stands currently are in first place is JJ on eight. Yes. In second place is John <laughs> on nine. Yes, as it should be. And in third, joint third place is you and me on ten. Seb. Oh, you're going to have to go first with your prediction. Did you do a dab? He did. I did a dab. Yeah. I did a dab. He's done it four what? times today and it's got funnier every time. <laughs> Actually, Seb, it's you and John that go okay. first because you did the worst of the day. So first one I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what John's predictions okay. for the games tomorrow are. Now, for Argentina, I should have done this earlier because now I'm typing as well, versus oh, yeah. uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, God, <laughs> this is dreadful. Uh, John has predicted a 3-0 victory to Argentina, yes? And for the second game, which is Mexico versus Poland, John has predicted 
nil two. This is terrible. <laughs> and for the third game, uh, which is Denmark versus Tunisia, people are just watching me type into my computer. John has predicted... Do some background music or something. Oh, John's yeah. predicted 3-0 Denmark for that one, yeah? Mm. And uh, for the fourth game, it is France versus Australia. John has predicted 3-0 France. So those are John's predictions. Seb, I come to you now. Argentina, uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. What do you think? I mean, could be a big scoreline, couldn't I'm it? I'm going to take 6-0 Argentina. You're going for a oh, wow, That's yes, a very I, I am, risky I'm going play. bold on that one. Okay. 6-0 Argentina for that one. Denmark, Tunisia, 3-0 Denmark. Denmark, Tunisia was the third one, but that's fine. We'll go to three, and you can't have that because John's already okay, had it. So you I'm really need to, to pay I'm better attention. To, you, you made that segment quite boring. I know. So I, I, I dozed off. To remember. I'm going to say two nil Denmark then. Fine. Two nil Denmark. Yes, indeed. Yeah, okay. We've got Mexico, Poland. Please. Nil to Poland. Nil to. Well, again, that's exactly what John said. I was so. not listening to you at all. I'm sure. going to say nil one Poland. Well, this is an exciting yes, segment. Sisters. And France, Australia. I'm going. Don't to say three nil. Say one one. Well, oh, one one. I, France, Australia. That's quite a big show. I've heard some, you it's know, crazy. The, the strange things in the in the French camp. So okay, you know, yeah. fine. Well, for myself, I'm going to predict a healthy four uh, nil victory to Argentina against uh, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Poland. I'm going for Mexico here. I think Robert Lewandowski is going to score, mm. but I'm going to go for Mexico two one. Mm. How about that? Big problem with goals for Mexico. So, is there? Yeah. Don't know anything about them. <laughs> Denmark, Tunisia. I'm just going based off how I. <laughs> How I feel about the sound of the word. Yeah. And Denmark, Tunisia, who doesn't like... Uh, I love Denmark. Tunisia. So let's say... Full of goals. 1-0, because that's a result that hasn't been taken yet. And of course, France, Australia. 0-0. <laughs> and JJ, let's bring this miserable section to a close and choose definitely to do it differently tomorrow. Oh, yes. Argentina versus the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. What did you say? Well... Is that a joke? No. no okay. 3-0, uh, 4-0, and 6-0 are taken. Uh, I think it's going to be hot tomorrow, so I'm going to say 2-0. 2-0. Yes. Oh, that's an interesting one. Okay. Yeah. And Mexico and Poland. How, what about the hotness there? 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Okay, Medium fine. spice. Yeah, medium spice. Denmark versus Tunisia. <laughs> <laughs> De- how, how, what's the uh, what's the, uh, the the heat decibels? Heat decibels. I think that's what's pro- it called? The the chili. Uh, the scargill. The scargill. Scoville. The scargill. Oh, the scargill. The scargill. What about Denmark, Tunisia? Come now. Uh, We've had a one nil, a two nil, and a three nil. Oh, have you? Oh, yeah. that's <laughs> that's unfortunate. Uh, one all. <laughs> one all. Yay. And France versus Australia. We've had a 0-0, a 1-1. Oh, you're going for 5-0. Okay, yeah, why not? Have a fun. Easy. Let's live life on the fast lane. JJ's got two 1-1s tomorrow, which I think, as we, if we remember correctly from uh, last summer, is the way to win the game. So, <laughs> yeah. And also, given that you went last, you shouldn't have been, you shouldn't have been allowed those, but you did get them. What I think you, I think you might start a, uh, you might start to create a bit of a gap here, a bit of distance at the front, uh, the front well, runner. that's good. Yeah. The it's it always be. nice to look behind you and see the rest of us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that's the end of uh, this for now. Uh, but uh, thank you to JJ Bull the Bullet. Yes. You won't be here tomorrow, will you? But we'll have uh, Jonathan McKenzie in your place. Yes, a much better tactician. There we go. Uh, Sebastian Stafford-Bloor, thank you. Thank you very much. Don't you, you'll be here tomorrow. I shall. Yes. yes. And thanks to the gang of Don, Jamie and Craig over there for all of their hard work. And uh, that's all from me. Uh, bye. Bye.